0: We've had an amazing two-and-a-half days. Uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday was the Soul Care Conference, and Dr. Rob Reimer has been here leading us through. Yeah, it's been, it's been great. Um, a couple things I just want to say. First of all, uh, Rob's written some uh, great books that are just, uh, have been life-changing for many of us. We've really experienced a lot of growth through them. Uh, there's four books for sale. So as you go out, uh, just as you go up the steps to the right, uh, let's just buy the rest of his books so he doesn't have to put any in a suitcase and take them home. Uh, that would be nice, but uh, they're there and he'd probably even be willing to sign a couple if that's something that you want. So you can just pick those up afterwards. But uh, we have just spent uh, two and a half days growing in our understanding of how the spirit wants to move in our lives and what the spirit wants to do in us and through us. And uh, you're in for a treat this morning as Rob brings the word. We just want to uh, encourage you to get everything that he has for you uh, through this. So thank you, Rob, for being here. Bless you. Thank you. I grew up going
1: to church and honestly, I you know, I wasn't a great experience for me. Um, How many of you grew up going to church? Okay, so for those of you it wasn't a great experience, I just want to start with an apology. Uh, For me, honestly, the thing that made it difficult was the fact that the stuff that I read in the Bible was so different than the stuff that happened on my daily experience at church. Uh, The stuff that I read in the Bible was really cool. The stuff that happened at church was kind of boring, um, and, I, and my problem is, I actually believed the Bible. It messed me up. I read this stuff that Jesus did, and Jesus is the most compelling person I'd ever intersected with, but that wasn't my experience in church. When I became 17 years old, I started dating a girl from church, and church became interesting. <laughs> Nothing to do with church, but she was interesting. And so, you know, we dated for a couple of years. When I was 19, thereabouts, uh, she broke up with me. And that was her loss. But uh, I drove away really from her house and I just, I started weeping. It was actually kind of the first time in my adult life I can remember crying, you know, and I was pulled off the side of this little dirt road and, and I cried out to God. It's an interesting thing when you go to church. You learn a lot of things that you don't use until you actually need them. And what I learned was there was a person out there that I could cry out to in times of need. And I finally hit that moment, and so I cried out to God. What I didn't expect, though, was that he talked to me. And again, you know, see, no one ever told me that he could talk in church. My problem was I read the Bible. He did talk to people in the Bible all the time. But I didn't know that from church. So I was kind of surprised when he actually talked to me. I was sitting there crying on the side of the road, and what I said to him was, I said, Lord, you know, this is, this is what I get. I mean, I gave this girl my heart, and this is what I get. I mean, just look. And I heard him speak, and he said to me, it's the same way you've treated me your whole life. Yeah, I thought it was a rude introduction.
2: <laughs> Actually, what it did was it broke me. A lot of times, you know,
1: we dabble around the edges of sin and we feel kind of bad, but not really bad, not bad enough to really change. But that day, that word from the Spirit of God pierced my heart. And my tears quickly evolved from tears of self-pity to tears of repentance. And I sobbed and I just, I gave my life to God, really, totally, fully. I just said, Lord, from now on, you lead, I follow, you've got me, I am yours. Well, what happened in the next moment? I mean, there aren't words to describe really. It's so mystical. I mean, I was like heaven opened up and God just poured love into my inner being. I got drenched, soaked, saturated with the stuff that I'd read about, but now I knew. Oh, there's a world of difference between reading about something and encountering God. I write books, you know, and people, they come to me a lot of times because I'm really, really very honest and open and vulnerable in my books. And so people will come to me all the time and say, "Ah, I feel like I know you, you know, but they don't know me. They've read about me.
2: And I feel like there's a lot of us, you know, we've read the Bible, but we don't know him until we encounter him. And that was true in my life, you know.
1: That day changed everything for me, radically, dramatically changed everything for me. I didn't even know what that thing was called, by the way. I had this encounter with God. I got totally soaked and drenched with his presence and his love, and I had no words for it. It wasn't until I went to seminary, and I heard a professor, a doctor at the seminary talking about this experience, and he referred to it as the filling or baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when I, when I was listening to that, I'm like, that's what happened, man. That's, that was the words for it. And that's what I want to talk to you about. But I want you to catch something right at the beginning before I look at Scripture with you. And this is what I want you to catch. The, 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 the Holy Spirit doesn't just want to fill us so we'll feel good. Now, Too often we pursue God and we want more of God because we want to feel better. And, you know, don't get me wrong. God likes you. He wants you to feel good. But the purpose of this drenching and empowering presence of the Spirit that just soaks our life is so that we can help others come to know him. You see, Jesus died on a cross because he wishes that none should be left out of his family. And what he did was he gathered this family, you and I, the family of God. And then he soaked us with his Spirit. So that other people could join the family. So no one would miss out. And so this is why we need the fullness of the Spirit. I got to say one last thing before I dive into the text. Listen, you know, it's really sad for me. Because again, I grew up in the evangelical church. I'm an evangelical, you know. And what's really sad for me is I speak all over the world. And I can't believe the level of fear that is associated with things of the Spirit. And can I just say two things to you? Please, would you just hear me from my heart for a minute? Fear is a tool of the enemy to keep you from the fullness of God. And Jesus is not afraid of the Holy Spirit. And when you have any sense of fear of the Spirit, that's just not God. I want my reading in Scripture, the stuff I read about, I want my experience with God to catch up to the stuff I read. I don't want this huge gap between the things I read about and the things I'm experiencing. I want to close the gap in my life. So I'm experiencing the things God has promised, don't you? Some of you do. All right, let's take a look at the passage of Scripture in Acts And I want to look at uh, two passages in the book of Acts. The first one I want to look at is Acts chapter 1, verse 4, 5, 8, context. Jesus has already died. He's already risen from the dead. He's already appeared to the disciples multiple times. This is it. He's about ready to ascend into heaven and leave them behind for good. This is where he's headed, and he has a final word for them. This is his final word. Just a thought, and pause here for a second. Final words are incredibly important. Now, I just left a church that I would pastored for 22 years. I thought for 22 years about my final words to that church. Literally, from the day I started, I started thinking about what I would say when it was time to depart. I have literally thought about the final words I will speak to my children. Final words really matter. And these are his final words. So I'm going to tell you right now, these are weighty words. These are words that count. You ready? Let's look at them together. Jesus speaking. He says to the disciples, wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John, that is John the Baptist, baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. First, the image of baptism. You know, of course, they were all baptized by John. They understood baptism. They went into the Jordan River. John would grab them and he would immerse them, completely drench them in the river. This is the image. It's the only image they have of baptism. And so what they're thinking is, whatever's going to happen with the Holy Spirit, it's going to be like being drenched. And for a lot of us, if we're really honest, We're not experiencing right now, currently in our life, this kind of drenching and soaking in the Spirit's presence. There's a trickle. There's a drizzle. There's a little bit. There's a little puddle at our feet. But he's saying there's something more than this. There's a drenching in this thing. Well, you know, I mean, if you read the story, you see this is what happens. What I want to do is, though, I want to look in this passage and in one other in Acts chapter 2, where Peter speaks, and we'll look at that one in a minute. I want to look at what's the evidence when someone is really immersed in the fullness, drenched and saturated in the fullness of the Spirit. Well, if you notice the text, he actually says, he's not unclear. It's the thing I like about Jesus. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is the first one. This is a when-then statement. His statement is, when the Spirit is there in fullness, then there will be power. That's his idea, not my idea. And so there ought to be power. Now, just track with me in the book of Acts. This is exactly what happens in the book of Acts, right? The Holy Spirit comes, you know, in Acts chapter 2. They are filled, drenched, soaked with the Holy Spirit. They are blown away by this experience. When that happens, immediately there is power. The very first thing that happens, Peter stands up. This same Peter, by the way, who could not stand up to a slave girl and give testimony to Jesus, he denies Jesus before a person who has no power, who has no authority, who has no position, who has no status, who can do nothing to him, but he can't speak up to her about Jesus. But now this Peter... Who has now been drenched, soaked, immersed, and baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up on a day of Pentecost to a bunch of people, including leaders who could take him out, and he speaks with unbelievable, unstoppable courage. 3,000 people come to faith that day. That's a pretty good day in the kingdom, right there, okay? It's because there's power. It's not just power in his words. If you go on to the next chapter in Acts chapter three, Peter and John are walking into the temple one day. They go there to pray and they're about ready to walk in. They see this guy, he's begging, right? He wants silver and gold. Peter looks at him and goes, listen, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have I'll give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. I mean, that's a pretty good gig right there. He grabs him by the hand as he speaks the word, rise and walk, and he pulls him to his feet. I'm always intrigued by the human factor of biblical stories. Could you imagine what would happen if the guy didn't have a supernatural healing? He would have dragged him across the floor of the temple. I mean, it would have been an embarrassing moment. But this guy has such faith. Why? Because he's been so drenched in the spirit. He believes where the presence is, the power is, and where the presence is and the power is, miracles happen. He's convinced. You see, when you have a puddle at your feet, you're not convinced. But when you're immersed in the presence, you are convinced. Because where Jesus shows up, there is power. It's all over the New Testament. There is power. I want you to hear me for a second. Power always involves risks. If I'm going to see the things that God is going to do like he used to do, I'm going to have to take risk. I always say my next level with God lies beyond the boundaries of my current experience. And the only way I can get there is to risk more than I'm comfortable with.
2: Always takes risk. I had a lady come to me one time. She she would attend my church once in a while. She was a Muslim
1: doctor. Her husband was a mm, Southern Baptist guy. He had uh, sort of been a nominal believer. They'd gotten married. You know, they'd started coming. He would come weekly. She would come eh, like every six weeks or something. So I knew her, but didn't really know her. I'd never really had a personal conversation with her, but kind of knew of her. And one day I get a phone call. She says to me, "Um, would you be willing to meet with me? I said, of course, be happy to meet with you. And so we set an appointment. She comes in for the appointment. I have to admit, I'm a little curious, right? Because she's a Muslim doctor, and why does she want to meet with me? I'm not real sure. She doesn't come to church that much, but I'm intrigued. Besides, I like people. And so, anyway, she comes into my office, and first in, she says to me, I suppose you're wondering why I wanted to meet with you. I said, well, it did cross my mind. Yes, actually, I have been considering that. She said, well, she said, I'm struggling with anxiety, she said and I thought you could help me. I mean, no pressure or anything, you know, I mean, I said, well, can you tell me why? I said, I'm a little curious. I said, I mean, I'm a Protestant minister, and you're Muslim, you know, I'm I'm a doctor, but not that kind. I mean, you're a medical doctor. I mean, why did you come to me? You could have gone to your own profession. You could have gone to people in your own faith. And she said to me, well, to be honest, she said, I've experienced anxiety for quite some time, and the only time I experience peace is when I'm sitting underneath your preaching. I said to her, do you know why? She goes, well, I suppose you're going to tell me it has something to do with Jesus. I said, that's true, but I sit on a lot of people's preaching that don't give me peace. Mm-hmm. And so I said to her, yeah, it's not quite right. I said, but I will tell you this. I said, what's happened is I've had anxiety in my own life and I have experienced Jesus giving me victory. What you are experiencing is you are participating in the victory of Jesus in my life when you're sitting there. She went, that makes sense to me. I said to her, I'm going to pray for you. But I said, you know, you know, I'm going to pray in Jesus name. She said, I know. I knew that when I came. I said, okay, this is all I prayed. Listen, you know what? So many times when we pray, we make way too much about us. We're acting like we need to pray the right words. We need to pray fervently enough. We need to pray, you know, just enough words. And just stop making it so much about you. You just
2: got nothing. I got nothing. It's all about him. It's about his presence. So I just
1: said, I'm going to wait on God. Because if he shows up, stuff can happen. If he doesn't, I got nothing. So I just waited, and this is all I prayed. When I finally waited a little bit, then I just prayed this prayer, very simple, very short. I said, now may the peace of Christ come upon you. And literally, I watched the peace of Christ land on her. You could see her whole body. Literally, I could see her heart beating under the anxiety, and as soon as I prayed that prayer, her heart went into a normal rhythm. Her whole body relaxed. It was, I mean, supernatural. It was power. His power, not mine. I got nothing. She texted me a month later. She said, since you have prayed for me, I have had no anxiety. I know it's Jesus. This is a Muslim doctor, right? It's fun. Yeah, you know what you would expect is you'd expect me to tell you now, you know, and then she prayed to receive Christ and came to faith. Yeah, no, no, it didn't quite work out like that. She stopped coming to church. Reverse of what I was expecting. But I wasn't bothered by it, and here's why. She had encountered Jesus, and once you've encountered Jesus, he's hard to get rid of. So I knew the day would come. She called me, you know, probably six months later, and she said, hey, you know, I'm struggling with something else, can you come and pray with me? I said, sure, so I went and prayed with her. A few months after that, she called me up again. Hey, I'm struggling with something else. Can you come and pray with me? Yeah, sure. I came and prayed with her, right? She keeps turning to Jesus because she knows he has something she needs. Then she started coming to church again. At first, you know, every three, four, five weeks, and then it was every week, almost every single week. She was there regularly. Finally, one day, she called me up on the phone again. She said, hey, can you come to the office and pray with me? She said, I got something else I'm wrestling with. And I said, sure. And so I went to her doctor's office, and I prayed with her and ministered to her over the issues she was battling with. And after I prayed with her, she looked at me and she goes, I'm ready. I said, Re- ready for what? I'm just checking. I mean, you need to know, right? So and she looked at me and she goes, well... Honestly, she said, from the first day you prayed with me, and I felt the peace of Jesus, she said, I knew he was real. But she said, I, you know, being Muslim, she said, I knew if I followed Jesus, I might lose my family. But she said, today, he's become so real. He's been so good. I can't say no to him any longer. And she prayed this beautiful sinner's prayer and gave her life to Jesus and I prayed for her and the Holy Spirit just drenched her with love. She's a lovely lady.
2: Listen, that woman came to faith because when the Spirit comes, there's power. Where there's a lack of power, we're standing in puddles, but we're not
1: yet drenched with the Spirit. I'll give you a second thing. Because again, it's just a text. It's what he says. It's not what my idea is. But this is what he says. When we're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, there ought to be witness. Again, just read what he says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And it's the same when. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. It's a when then. It's when you receive the Spirit, then there will be power. When you receive the Spirit, then there will be a witness. That's just the way it works. If I'm standing in the current fullness of the Spirit, what ends up happening to me is Jesus starts doing deep work in my life, and the evidence of Jesus transforming presence and power is upon me. And what happens is i got to tell somebody. When you have been walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, the reality of Jesus transforming work is in you, and you can't shut up about it. All a witness is, is simply one who tells what they have seen, what they have heard, and what they have experienced. That's all they are. And when you have seen, and you have heard, and you have experienced Jesus in your life, you're a witness. Every time I travel, I travel quite a bit. You know, I always pray this prayer when I get into a plane or a taxi or whatever. I always say, Lord, do you want me to talk to this person next to me? If he says yes, I know I'm in for an amazing divine appointment. If he says no, then I read a book because I don't want to waste my time. I got too many things to do in life. So I just, I'm not going to waste my time talking small talk with somebody. So I just, I pray this prayer. So one day I was on a plane from Chicago to Providence and I get on the plane. I'm really tired. I don't really feel like talking to anybody, but I still, I mean, I trust God. And so I said to the Lord, do you want me to talk to this lady sitting next to me? He's clear, yes. I said, okay. So I just reached out my hand and said, my name's Rob, what's your name? She starts telling me her name. I asked her where she's going. And she says, she's going to Providence. And you know, nowadays, you never know if somebody's on a connecting flight or whatever. And so I said, uh, is that where you live? She said, no, and she, I live in Chicago here. She said, I'm, I'm going there to do you know, some business. And so I asked her about her business. Listen, all I'm doing is making conversation. What I'm looking for is the divine intersection point. This is the point where the work in Jesus in my life intersects where she needs the work of Jesus in her life. That's your witness. It's all I'm looking for. And so, you know, I'm having this conversation with her. She's telling me she lives in Chicago. So I'm just making natural conversation. Are you married? She says, yes. And I said, do you have children? And she said, yeah, she have two teenage boys. And, and I said to her, it was just a casual comment. I just said to her, I said, you know, I said, there's never anything I want to succeed more at than parenting and never anything I felt less equipped for than parenting. And when I said it, I see a tear in her eye. And I know right now I've hit the moment. I said to her, I felt like my heart expanded beyond its capacity to love when I had children of my own. I had no idea the human heart's capacity to love till I held my own children and now tears streaming down both cheeks. I said to her, I can sort of perceive here that you have some kid pain. I said, no pain's worse than kid pain. Do you want to talk about it? She told me that her one son was a heroin addict. He was on the streets of Chicago. She didn't know if he'd come home some days or if he wouldn't come home. She was waiting for the phone call that said he would never come home. Listen, I don't care who you are as a parent. I don't care what you've done as a parent. I don't, I don't care how good a parent you are. Any kids can get lopsided. And I can feel her pain. I had a kid who was running down a wrong trail for a while. She had experienced some bad things when she was little. And those kinds of things can chase you down a wrong trail. So I can understand where this kid is. I sat there and listened to this story for a while, but you see, what I can tell you is that in my parenting, when my kid was headed down the wrong path, Jesus helped me. Jesus met me. There was one day when my child was really in a bad place, and I woke up in the morning and I spent time alone with the Lord. And when I went to spend time alone with the Lord that morning, I felt grief. It was weird. I, I, I couldn't think of anything I was personally grieving over, but there was grief and I could feel it. And as soon as I felt this grief, I'm like, Lord, what is that? And I heard the Holy Spirit and he spoke to me and he said to me, I'm grieving inside of you for your daughter. See, that's not something I want to hear from the Lord. I just said to him, I said, Lord, why? He said, she has a secret. So I waited for my kid to come home from school. When she came home from school, you know, she went up into her room, and I walked up into her room, and I sat down on the corner of her bed, and I said to her sweetheart, I said, the Lord told me this morning that you have a secret. Do you want to tell me what it is, or do you want him to tell me? Some of you think, you know, that was a threat. Actually, it wasn't at all a threat. You know what it was? I was giving her an opportunity to pass the honesty test. He would tell me. I had no doubt. But the bottom line is she had to pass the honesty test. I knew if this kid was going to get out of her own way and start a new path, she was going to have to start to be open and honest. Honesty always precedes transformation. Deception always leads
2: to greater darkness. So finally, you know, she cried and she
1: said to me, you already know what it is, don't you, Dad? I said, I might, but you need to tell me anyways. This is your honesty test, not mine. And sure enough, she spills. That happened four or five times. Here's the good news. That kid has changed direction. She's on the right path, you know. When I'm telling this lady on this plane that I've never met, these stories about how Jesus has helped me as a parent and the things he showed me and the way he gave me wisdom, this lady's just bawling. By the end of the conversation, you know, I'm a, she's wide open to God. So that's a witness. Listen, all the Holy Spirit said in this chapter through the author Luke is simply this. When the Spirit is upon you, when you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, when the Spirit has marked your life, you will have stuff to talk to people about Jesus.
2: But you know, when the the water level, the Spirit dries up and it's just a tiny puddle We run out of things to say.
1: Here's the good news. When the water level rises again and there's an increase and the spirit is current and active, we have the opportunity to witness about Jesus and his works in our life. Any place Jesus has met you, any place Jesus has changed you, any place Jesus has intersected your life, you're a witness If Jesus has helped you experience forgiveness, you're a witness. If Jesus helped you to forgive those who sinned against you, you're a witness. If Jesus has helped you overcome anxiety, you're a witness. If Jesus has helped you overcome depression, you're a witness. If Jesus has helped you overcome addiction, you're a witness. If Jesus has helped you overcome shame, you're a witness. But you see I got to get the water level of the spirit to rise in my life so the activity of Jesus is current so that I have a current witness. And when the water level dries up, I got to look inside and go, God, I can't live with the dryness and the barrenness without your presence any longer. I'll give you one last thing. When we're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, there ought to be the voice of God present and current. It's called prophecy in the New Testament. That's the biblical word for it, hearing God's voice. But again, it's a when-ben. This is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. This is after the baptism, the filling the encounter with the Holy Spirit. And he's trying to make sense for the crowd of what has just occurred because it's a supernatural event. You remember they spoke in languages that they'd never spoken in before. You know, they're speaking in a language and everybody's hearing it in their mother tongue. I mean, it was an utterly bizarre supernatural event. And you remember some people are like, they're drunk, they've been drinking too much. And so Peter stands up, he goes, "Eh, it's nine o'clock in the morning, we haven't had a drink yet. That might happen later, but not today so far. And then he goes, uh, Acts two seventeen. in the last days, he's quoting from the prophet Joel. The last days, biblically speaking, are from the time Jesus rose from the dead until the time Jesus returns, which means Peter, as he's preaching, sees himself as in the last days. And it also means that you and I are in the last days. Hear me, what ought to characterize the last days according to Joel and according to Peter is you ought to hear God's voice. But you know what the key is? You don't hear the voice when you're standing in a puddle. You gotta have an increase of the presence. The water's gotta rise. In the last days, God says, notice the word, I will pour out, not a drizzle, not a trickle, not a puddle, an outpouring. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Just in case you missed it, that included you. You got included. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young people are in this thing. You didn't get a junior Holy Spirit. You got the real deal. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Old guys, you still got a chance. It's not too late. The Spirit still lives in you and wants to speak to you. Even on my servants, both men and women, you're in, women, you're included. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. It's really simple. Where the presence of God is on the rise, his voice is
2: always heard. When you're standing in a puddle, his voice is hard to access. There's a direct correlation
1: When I'm in the current fullness of the spirit, he speaks. He gives me words. And I'll tell you right now, a bunch of the times the words he gives me are about mission. Because he wishes none should perish. Listen, he didn't drop his blood so billions of people could go to hell. He dropped his blood so none should perish. What he's looking for is a church so drenched, so soaked, so filled with the spirit that they would be wide open to hear from him in any moment to help any soul on a journey to him. The key is really to walk humbly enough that when I feel the water drying up, I cry out for more. And then to walk sensitively enough to the presence and the voice of the spirit within me that I say yes no matter what he asks. I was on another plane ride, once again, doing the same thing I do when I'm on a plane, you know, Lord, do you want me to speak to anybody kind of thing, you know, and this one, it was a Sunday, I was headed from Boston, where I used to pastor until June of this year, and I was uh, just finished with three services, I did lunch with the family, got on a plane, went out to Cleveland, uh, where I was getting a connecting flight to go to Erie, Pennsylvania. Has anybody ever been to Erie, Pennsylvania? I'm sorry for all of you who have. It was winter. Okay. So that did taint my vision of Erie, Pennsylvania. I mean, it was ice cold. And so anyways, it's really late at night. It's as a matter of fact, it's like 1130 at night. I'm sitting in an airport in Cleveland. I'm really tired. I have got to start a conference the next morning at 830. And I have 21 talks to give in five days. And I'm like, dear God, please, 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 please just get me, get me to Cleveland, get me to Erie, let me go to bed, I just got to go to bed, I'm really tired, and there's no pilot, there's no plane, there's no flight crew, there's no person behind the counter, and there's a lot of angry people, and they're wandering around, and they are swearing like crazy, and I'm just sitting there going, God, please get me out of here, like, beam me up, Father, come on, you know, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And so I'm thinking about getting a, a, a car, renting a car and driving to lousy Erie, Pennsylvania. And while I'm having this thought, I noticed this old lady. Now she's gotta be late 60s. I'm being kind, probably 75. And she's dressed incredibly neat. Really, really neat. Very, very, look like a nice little church lady. Only every other word out of her mouth is the F-bomb. I mean, she's using the F-bomb like it's the word the, okay? She's got a mouth on her like a saltwater crocodile, and she's just dropping F-bombs everywhere she goes. And so I look at this lady and I'm thinking, oh God, please, please get me to Erie, Pennsylvania. And as I'm praying that, I hear the Holy Spirit he says to me, I want you to talk to the swearing old lady. I'm like, no, not her, Lord. Anybody but her, please. There's a nice little old guy over there. He seems to be calm. I don't want to talk to the swearing old lady. As I'm praying this, she walks over and plops her butt right down in the seat next to me. I mean, I'm in a huge row, not one other chair is taken she's got to sit right next to me i'm like haha ha, god you're so funny okay you win so i reach out my hand i said what's your name my name's rob she goes my name's barbara i go barbara where you headed she goes "Erie, blank blank pennsylvania i said that's how i feel about it too tonight barbara quite frankly i said so barbara i said is uh, that where you live she said yeah and i own a business there which Surprised me because I thought she was older than that. And I said, Oh, okay, what do you do? She tells me what she does. And then she asked the reciprocal question. The reciprocal question, of course, is, what do you do for a living? You need to know when you're a clergy, that's a sticky question. Because <laughs> it's really funny, but you know, somebody says to you, What do you do for your living? You say, Oh, I'm a pastor. You wouldn't believe how people clean up their act and get holy. I mean, they treat you like you're the freaking Pope, okay? And I'm just like, whoa, what happened? We were having a nice conversation, and now you're like, you know, Mr. Distant over there, right? And so I'm sitting there with this lady, and I thought, you know what, God? You got me into this conversation. You're going to have to get me out of this conversation. She'd been dropping the M-bomb. I'm going to, I mean, the F-bomb. I'm going to drop the M-bomb. I said, I'm a minister. Boom, you know? And she looks at me and she goes, oh, she goes, my father was a Methodist minister. (laughs) I said to her, that's where he learned to swear like that, I guess, you know. I didn't really say that, but I did think it. Right then, literally, like the flight crew comes sweeping in, and they are in a hurry because they're way late, and so they didn't even do like a check. They did the check on the plane. They're like, everybody get on board, you know, it's like, and so literally follow them right on the plane. We're getting right on the plane, and the guy sitting in my seat, and come on, who's sitting right next to me? I mean, oh my gosh, this is a divine setup. So she sits down right next to me. The guy fires up the plane. It's a little propeller plane, you know, so it's pretty loud. And when he fires up the plane and, you know, they're checking our tickets and all this stuff, the the lady leans over to me and she grabs my arm and she says to me, I'm dying of cancer. Would you pray for me?
2: I said to her, Barbara, you know, plane's really loud.
1: I said, "Uh, why don't we wait to get to Erie and I'll, I'll pray for you in Erie. She said, okay. It gave me about 20 minutes. It was just enough time to repent for my attitude we got to Erie, Pennsylvania. We get to Erie and her husband's there. His name is Jim. And we're standing in Erie, Pennsylvania airport and Barbara introduces me to Jim. She says, oh, Jim. She goes, I met this nice young minister and she introduced me. I love old people because they still think I'm young. So it's wonderful. So I shake his hand and I said to him, Jim, listen, Barbara told me she's, she's suffering from a bout with cancer. I said, can I pray with you? He starts crying, she starts crying, I start crying. We're holding hands, the three of us, in the middle of Erie, Pennsylvania Airport. By this stage, it's after midnight. We're in a circle, holding hands, traffic all around us from the plane. After I prayed this little simple prayer, she threw her arms around me and held me tight as she wept. She whispered in my ear,
2: I had lost my faith, and tonight, God sent me you. See, when you're standing in the deep end of the pool, saturated with the presence of the Spirit, these stories happen. But when you're standing in a puddle, they dry up. Some of you know, long ago, you came to faith. You had this incredible experience
1: with Jesus when you came to faith. You were free. You felt full. You felt loved. You felt excited. And some place or another, the level of energy and experience and fullness
2: has drained out. It's just a puddle. Isn't it time for a fresh filling?
1: If you're here, This morning, and you really want the current
2: fullness of the Spirit, would you just stand where you are? And I'm going to pray for you. Just turn your eyes towards Him, the eyes of your heart. Fix your attention on him. And now I pray, come Holy Spirit. Lord, the reality is all of us at times need fresh filling.
1: It wasn't just us. It was true for those apostles. Same guys that are filled in Acts 2 get refilled in Acts 4. That's because we leak. We all leak. And the truth is, some of us have had really neat experiences with you over the course of our lifetime, but there are days in all of our
2: lives where we just need more. The water level needs to rise.
1: So I pray in Jesus' name for fresh filling. I pray you would rise the water level of the Spirit in these, your children, and in this place. I pray you would rise the water level of the Spirit so that there might be witness out of the overflow of your activity in our life. There might be power, answers to prayer. There'd be people in our workplace that we would take a risk with, pray for, and there would be healings. There would be encounters with you. There would be answers to prayer and people would know it's Jesus. And Lord, I pray that there would be promptings of the Spirit to divine appointments. I pray the water level of the Spirit would rise and we would hear those whispers of your Spirit and our lives would be littered with divine appointments. And we would be the people who have the eternal yes in our heart. Every time we'd say, yes, Lord, I will go. Yes, Lord, I will speak. Yes, Lord, I will do what you want me to do. Yes, Lord. And every time we say yes, the water level would rise a little more. I pray for this church and for these brothers and sisters that there would be a rising increase of the water level of the spirit. Plant in our hearts a seed of holy longing for more of you. There's so much more. May we not be satisfied with the drizzle, may we not be satisfied with the puddles at our feet but may we long for the days in our life where the Spirit is poured out. I claim Romans 5 for them. It says that the Holy Spirit will pour out the love of God in our hearts. May the outpouring of your Spirit and the manifestations of your love be full in our lives for the sake of the kingdom, for the glory of the King in Jesus' name.
0: Hey, we're gonna sing a song and I'm just gonna invite you to come down if you wanna pray. Uh, We have people down here that would love to pray with you and for you as we sing this song. You can stand, you can sit, you can just uh, enter into more of the presence of the Lord and receive what he has for you. Uh, One of the things we do every Sunday and Saturdays is we gather before the church and pray uh, for you. And one of the things we just felt like the Lord was putting on our hearts is that there is a sense of spiritual being anemic and just wanting more of the spirit and so if that resonates with you and you just want more just encourage you to come down uh, and pray with us and allow us to pray over you if you have a physical ailment that you want us to pray for we'd love to do that as well so as we sing feel free to come down prayer people if you'd come down now that would be great Yeah There's still some business to be done out here, people that need prayer. So I'm just going to ask you to sort of mosey out quietly and then get rowdy in the lobby. Rowdy as you want to be in the lobby, but let's just sort of sneak out. Those of you who still want prayer, uh, we would love to pray for you. So if you just want to come down, that's great. Blessings.